0: What am I going to do with that? This is my one shot to make a difference. There will never be another Philip Calvin McGraw. Each behavior you make is authentic. You have to behave your way to success. You don't go after something that you can't envision. you got to be able to see it. It's Dr. Phil and you're listening to Fill in the Blanks, and this is part two about New Year's resolutions. Now, listen, you may make these things just for fun, and if you do, that's great. Just have fun with them, joke around about it at your New Year's Eve party, etc. and then go back to doing what you're doing the next day. That's totally fine. I do that some. Everybody does that some. However, however, if you really do want to use this day to demarcate a time for change, if you really do want to make a resolution that you really do want to stick to, then you're going to want to listen to part number one because I talked about a lot of things in there that lay the foundation for making a resolution that you can actually stick to. Making a resolution that really does come true and realigns your life. And there were some real tidbits in there that you're going to want to hear such as how to increase your personal efficiency 500% this year compared to last year. Now, anybody would want that, of course. So, as I say, you're going to want to listen to part one of this two-part discussion of New Year's resolutions. Now I'm going to talk about how to actually make those resolutions come true. And let's really pay attention to this, because this is not just a new year. This is a new decade. Think about it. We're talking about the roaring 20s here. This is 2020. So you're not just starting a new year. You're starting a whole new decade. This can be a whole new you, if you want it to be. And let me tell you why I make a big point out of that. You may not have ever thought about it this way, but think about this. In the entire history of the world, from the beginning of mankind up through now, and for the entire future of mankind, there has only been one you. Now, there may be people that kind of look like you, there may be people that share your name. You know, you may be Bonnie Jenkins, okay? There may be a hundred Bonnie Jenkins but there will never be a Bonnie Jenkins that's you. You are unique. There will never be another you in history. There will never be anybody that has your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs and values, makes your choices and your actions. There's one of you. You are unique. So how you live your life is no dress rehearsal. This is it. There will never, ever be another you. What are you going to do with this chance? You know, I think about that some. My name is Philip Calvin McGraw. Now, there may be some other people named Philip Calvin McGraw, but there will never be anybody that was born when I was born, where I was born, to the parents I was born to that went to the schools I went to, learned what I learned, experienced what I experienced, made the choices I made, and are sitting here in front of this microphone today. I was born, I'm going to live, and then I'm going to die, and that's it. I am in this world for a period of time, and I ask myself, what am I going to do with that? This is my one shot to make a difference. There will never be another Philip Calvin McGraw that is me. There's no alternate universe. There's no, we may have a doppelganger somewhere that looks kind of like me, God help him, but there's not another me. So what am I going to do with it? Have you ever asked yourself that? There's just you, and there'll never be another. What are you doing with that? What's your impact? Are you having an impact? In the American Indian culture, there's an old saying attributed to them that says you cannot leave a footprint in a moving stream. Think about that. You cannot leave a footprint in a moving stream. Why? Because everything gets washed away. Unless you make a really big splash, unless you make a really big impact. Now, You don't have to be in a big position. You don't have to be the president or a senator or invent the smartphone or come up with a cure for cancer. You can have an impact in your own life. That's why you've heard me say many times, I want you to star in your own life. Now, you may be thinking, geez, lighten up. We're just talking about New Year's resolutions. I've already said that. If a New Year's resolution is just something you kind of you know, laugh about over eggnog and you yuck it up and say, yeah, I'm going to do A, B, and C, fine, that's okay, then none of this matters to you. But if you're one of those who says, you know what, just one time a year that I really stop and think about if I do want to make some changes in my life, and it just happens to be on New Year's, it could be on July 17th, I don't care. But when you do stop to think about that and say you want to make a change, I just want you to think about this. You're the only you in the history of the world. And I guess with that, I think, comes some responsibility to be the best you that you can be. So if you're not really interested in making change, then you don't need to listen to this right now. Come back to it sometime when you do want to make a change or tell somebody that does want to make a change to listen to it. But if you want to be a better you in this decade, If you want these to be the roaring 20s, then you do want to listen to this. And I can tell you right now a simple test to determine whether you're ready for change or not, because there are four stages for readiness with regard to change. Stage number one is when you're doing it because some authority makes you do it. It's kind of like you get in a fight and you get arrested for disturbing the peace and. So you go to court, and the court says, well, I'm going to order you into a 12-week anger management program. And you're rolling your eyes, and oh, yeah, fine, Beach paying a fine, so okay, I'll go. What's the chance that somebody in that circumstance is going to really improve their temper? Probably not very good. They're not motivated. They don't want to be there. They can go in there and sit there and cross their arms, lean back in their chair for their hour. 12 weeks in a row. They fill the square, check the box. They're out of there. They're not motivated to learn. They're not a sponge soaking up information. They're just there because they were ordered to be. Okay, that's stage number one. Stage number two is when you're doing it to please someone else. It's like your spouse wants you to do something. They want you to get more exercise, or they want you to lose weight, or they want you to be less harsh with your family members or something, and so you agree to it. But you're doing it just to make them happy. You don't really think you have a problem, but you agree to it just to make them happy to get them off of your back. So again, motivation is missing. You're just doing it to please somebody else. Stage three is when your heart's not in it, but at least intellectually, you know that you need to do it. You don't want to do it, but at least intellectually you know that you need to do it. There's a big difference between wanting to do it and knowing that you need to do it. Maybe you want to want to, but you don't want to. You wish you did. You wish your heart was in it. And in your head, you know, yeah, it'd probably be better if I did this differently, but I'm just not, right now, that's just not on my list of things to do. So in your head, you know it, but in your heart. You're just not really into it. And then there's stage four. And nobody makes lasting change until they're in stage four. And stage four is when you are ready mentally and emotionally to make a change. You are motivated at a heart level to make a change. That's when you look in a mirror and say, I'm not taking this from myself. For another day, for another hour, for another minute will I accept this for myself. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how scary it is on the other side of the wall. I'm going through the wall. I am so sick of this. I am so sick of myself. I'm so sick of my excuses. I'm so sick of my reality. I don't care what the risks are. I'm making this change. I'm so sick to death of myself. I just want to throw up in my mouth every time I think about it that's when people make changes. That's when people get off of drugs. That's when people lose weight. That's when people change jobs. That's when people stop venting their temper. That's when people get an education instead of continuing in a dead-end job they don't like. That's when people make whatever change it is, is in stage four of readiness. And you got to ask yourself, am I really ready? Is this a priority to me? Do I approach this with urgency? Am I so sick to death of this? I was talking to a woman not too long ago that said she really, really wanted to lose weight. And I said, yeah, how many diets have you been on in your life? And she said, probably 50. She said, I probably lost 500 pounds, 10 pounds, 50 times. I said, so what's different this time? And she said, I am sick to death of it. I'm sick of walking in the room and tugging on my jacket, pulling it down around my hips, pulling it down in the back, pulling it closed in the front. I'm sick to death of walking in a room and trying to get my back against the wall so nobody's looking at me from behind. I'm tired of bending over to try to tie a running shoe and I'm out of breath because my stomach is pushing up into my lungs and I can't even breathe. I'm sick to death of it. I am so sick of looking at myself in the mirror and not liking what I see. I'm so sick of going to the doctor and seeing lab work that I don't want. I'm so sick of being short of breath when I try to tie my shoes. I'm sick of tugging at my clothes and trying to find something that makes me presentable. I'm sick of it. And I said to myself and to her, you know, number 51 just might be your time. You might finally be in stage four. Because at this point, A, she was ready. And I asked her, Why should you get to lose weight and somebody else not? And she said, I've suffered long enough. I deserve this. I've worked hard and I failed. I've been criticized. I've hurt. I deserve this. And by God, I'm claiming it. Now, That's when I really thought number 51 might be the right time for her because you guys have probably heard me talk about personal truth before. Personal truth is important because what you believe about yourself determines what kind of results you generate in your life because we generate the results in life that we believe we deserve. If we believe that great results, a good job, a healthy body, an athletic figure and build, well-adjusted children, a peaceful marriage. If we believe all of those things are great, but they're for other people, not for me, then you won't have those things. If you believe I'm damaged because I grew up in a chaotic, violent home. And so I'm therefore second class. I'm damaged goods. Then you will create that result in your life. You will perpetuate that in your generation because it's what you think you deserve. You generate the results in life you believe you deserve. So you look and you say, what's my background? Who am I? How am I different from other people? And based on that comparison and that judgment you put on yourself, you will generate second class results because you secretly believe those top-notch results are for other people. Now, you may say different. You say it to other people because you wear a social mask. But if inside you truly believe that, yeah, I can talk about it and I can put on an act, but in my quietest moments when I'm alone, I really believe those results are for other people. They're not for me. Then you won't have them. Now, if that's true, how do you change that? Well, if you've got a damaged personal truth, then you have to heal that personal truth. You have to forgive yourself. You have to heal open wounds. And then, this is very important. You have to behave your way to success. Now, some people would say, well, Dr. Phil, that's just a fancy way of saying fake it till you make it. No, it's not. Because each behavior you make is authentic. You have to behave your way to success. If you want to be confident, then you need to behave with confidence. You need to act in a confident manner. And you say, well, I'm not really feeling confident, so you're telling me to just act like I am. Well, no, I'm telling you to behave as confident people behave. And so you say, well, so you're saying fake it. No, I'm saying adapt the behaviors that confident people have. Now, why is that important? It's because we make attributions to ourselves about ourselves based on what we observe ourselves do. If we observe ourselves walk into a situation that ordinarily we would be timid and shy and mousy and nervous, but we observe ourselves walk into that situation with our shoulders back, our head held high, And we look people in the eye, shake their hands, and say, hello, good to meet you. I'm glad to be here. That's what a confident person would do, right? They belong there. They believe they belong there. So they act like they belong there. They look people in the eye. They shake their hands. They they engage them. They don't apologize for being there. They walk up and say, hello, my name's so-and-so. What's your name? Hi. That's what confident people do. You behave your way to success. You're behaving as confident people behave. So you observe yourself doing that. And then you say, wow, I saw myself do that. So I now see that I can do that. I can be confident in those situations. I have two grandchildren, Avery and London. They're in lower school. And it's interesting that at this school, one of the rules they have. Is first off, a teacher or a teacher's aide meets the car every morning when their parents drop them off. They come and open the door and they say, Good morning, Avery, how are you? And she cannot look at her shoes and kind of shrink away. She has to say, Fine, Mrs. Johnson, how are you? They teach them from very early on how to engage people. They make eye contact, they call them by name, they make an appropriate greeting. And then I've watched these children. They've been there, one for now four years, the other for two. I've watched these children when I introduce them to adults in my life. They step up and say, hi, I'm Avery. Hi, I'm London. They've learned to behave in a confident manner. So they've observed themselves do that, and they're confident in meeting people. They behave confidently. They've observed themselves behave confidently. So they are confident. So you need to understand that you can behave your way to success. And you don't need to go to a year of therapy to do this. Just listen to what I'm telling you and do it. Save yourself a year of therapy and spend that on wardrobe or a trip. Look, half the solution to any problem lies in properly defining it. And you have to know what you want or you'll never get it. You have to name it to claim it. You have to name it to claim it. you got to know what it is you want in order to recognize it when you get it. Remember I said to you earlier that if I was in bed and the phone rang and somebody said, hey, listen, I'm lost. Can you tell me how to get to first and now? What would my first question be? Where are you? Right? Because I'm going to give a different set of directions. If they're east of 1st and Elm versus west of 1st and Elm, north of 1st and Elm, south of 1st and Elm, I need to know where you are before I can tell you how to get where you want to go. The same thing is true with you. If you're going to make these New Year's resolutions, if you're going to make changes in this decade, the first thing you need to do regarding the dimension you want to change in is ask the question, where am I? With regard to this, if I want to have a better spiritual life, if I want to have a better job, if I want to be healthier, if I want to make more money, if I want to get along better with my in-laws, whatever, you have to first assess where you are. And you can do that by asking yourself the following questions. First, why is this behavior change-worthy? The behavior resolving to change. Your resolution. Why is it change worthy? Why does it deserve to be on your list? Certainly, why does it deserve to be on the top of your list? Why? Is it creating pain, distance, unhealthiness? What is it creating? Question two. What pain is this creating in your life or somebody's life? that you want it to stop? Then three, what is blocking you from having what you want? Is it something within? Is it a damaged personal truth? Is it lack of access? Is it physical limitations? What is it? What's blocking you? Question four is really part of question three, so it could be 3B. I'll just call it four. Who or what needs to be removed? If there's something blocking you, who or what needs to be removed from the equation? If you want to have a close relationship with your mother, but since you got married, you can't because your spouse just is threatened by it, well, that's blocking you from having a healthy relationship with your mother. That's not reasonable. So you've got to remove that obstacle. So your spouse is going to have to get their ducks in a row and get secure enough for you to have a relationship with your own mother. Or they may need to leave the equation. But if you really want this, if it's urgent enough that it went on your list, you need to say who or what needs to be removed from the path in order for me to get what I want. And then the last question you need to ask yourself, and this is really, really important how will I feel if I have it? If you achieve your resolution, how are you going to feel if you have it? This is important because. You need to make sure you're wanting the right thing. Ask yourself, if I achieve my resolution, if I get what it is that I'm saying I want, how am I going to feel? Am I going to feel relief? Am I going to be proud? Am I going to be excited, satisfied? What is it? And if the answer is, wow, I don't know, I'm not sure that's going to give me what I'm looking for. Well, then maybe you need to revise your goal. Make sure that what you want is going to get you what you think it's going to get you. For example, I've talked to people that said, oh, I just have a terrible self-image and so I want to get plastic surgery. well, is plastic surgery going to change your internal dialogue? Eh, maybe, maybe not. I tend to think we need to deal with psychological problems psychologically, medical problems medically, spiritual problems spiritually, familial problems familially. I think we need to stay in our lane. I can't tell you how many people have had a poor self-image and got plastic surgery and still had a poor self-image. I think that's sad when I see that. So you got to make sure that you're wanting the right thing. And there are two things in life that you are in total control of. And that's your attitude and your effort. Those are two things you always control, your attitude and your effort. So you want to choose a goal that whether you achieve it or not is a function of your attitude and your effort that will make you feel so much better. And I promise you, plastic surgery is not going to fix your self-esteem. Eckhart Tolle said, the primary cause of unhappiness is never the situation, but your thoughts about it. You've heard me say, it's not reality that you respond to, it's what you say to yourself about reality. Eckhart's saying the same thing. Primary cause of unhappiness is never the situation, but your thoughts about it. So let's talk about asking yourself where you are. I'm going to give you five categories. I'm going to put a chart on the website for you, but I'm going to go through it with you real quick here. Life dimensions, personal, relational, professional, familial, and spiritual. Those are five dimensions of your life. If you can think of some others, add them. That's okay. But I'm just breaking it down to these five. Your resolution is probably going to fall into one of those five categories. It's going to be something personal like self-esteem, education, finance, health. Or it's going to be relational. And if it's relational, who are we talking about? Your significant other? Friends? Maybe you want to make new relationships. Maybe you want to repair an existing relationship. Maybe you want to reestablish lost relationships. So you start out broad, and then you start narrowing down. Your greatest test will be how you handle people who mishandled you. Think about that. Your greatest test in life will often be How you handle people who have mishandled you, they've mistreated you, they've been unfair with you. So, how are you going to handle them? That will be under the relational area maybe spouse, friends, an existing relationship that needs repair. Then, the third dimension was professional. You want to improve your job performance, you want to open a business or change businesses, you want to set some objectives to achieve, you want to get a promotion. You wanna make a career change? You know, maybe it's time, it's a new decade. Maybe it's time to go out with the old and in with the new. Maybe it's time to go out with the old and in with the true. Maybe it's time to stop lying to yourself. Get rid of old thinking and replace it with honesty being honest with yourself, out with the old, in with the true, in with the true, be truthful with yourself. The fourth dimension was familial. So what about your family? Do you want to improve your relationship with your parents, your children, your siblings? Maybe your extended family, your in-laws, who knows? And then spiritual. What is it you want to improve spiritually? Your personal relationship with your higher power? Your spiritual walk? Just how you experience day-to-day your spiritual life? Do you want to spend personal study and communion? Do you want to enrich your prayer life? Do you want to change your life focus where it's more spiritual? These are the things that you have to ask yourself. Now, I'm going to put this chart on the website so you can refer back to it. I've gone through it now just to kind of stimulate your thinking. But this just kind of helps you locate your life. This is part of the answer to where am I? And look, none of this stuff comes easy. I get that. It doesn't come easy. But if you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want becomes the sacrifice. Don't sacrifice the things that you really, really want because you're unwilling to make sacrifices to get them. You know, I wrote a book a long time ago called Life Strategies. And in there, I had. The Ten Laws of Life. They weren't guidelines. They weren't tendencies. They were laws. The Ten Laws of Life. And number one was you either get it or you don't. And I'm going to give you some questions that go with out with the old and in with the true. These are things you need to ask yourself and be really, really honest about. What characteristics am I carrying with me from one situation to the next? Do I go into situations expecting a negative outcome? Think about that. Do you go in there just thinking, this ain't going to work? Do I go into situations with a chip on my shoulder? Am I so judgmental that I condemn people in situations the moment I arrive? I just, here comes the judge, here comes the judge. Am I so angry and embittered that I spew ugliness on everyone I engage? Am I so insecure that I look for and find examples of how I am mistreated in every situation? Am I so passive and unwilling to claim my space that I invite people to overlook and disrespect me? Avery and London don't. They're not wallflowers. They walk up to people and say, hello, my name's Avery. Good to meet you. That does not invite people to overlook them. Do I hide insecurity behind the wall of false superiority and arrogance? Now think about that. Don't you know people that when you think about it, they do that? They're really insecure, but they come across with an air of false superiority and arrogance. But if you ever said boo, they would just fall apart do i try so hard that i wear people out with my overreaching do i spend all my time comparing myself to other people do i cheat myself out of genuinely experiencing situations by worrying the entire time about how people are viewing me have i doomed key relationships in my life by judging and condemning myself and others I'm going to put those on the website also, because I want you to be honest with people about who you are, what you want, and how you expect to be treated. If you engage people with standards, there's just a price of poker to be in your life. If you engage people with standards, you only scare off people that are not meant for you. If you all of a sudden start saying, you're going to have to treat me with dignity and respect, and people are like, oh. Well, listen, I was willing for you to stay around until you start making demands. You start expecting me to treat you with dignity and respect, then you're going to have to go not willing to do that. Those people weren't meant for you. You have to always know the difference between what you're getting and what you deserve. Always know the difference between what you're getting and what you deserve. And if there's a big gap there, you need to change out some of the people in your life. So I'm going to put that list on the website for you. And if some of those you answer yes, you need to write those down. You've heard me say you have to write things down. And you might be walking or driving while you're listening to this. Not a good time to write it down. But when you get home, write it down. Don't underestimate the importance of that, please. Writing things down suffers from the lack of face validity. Now, I'll tell you what I mean by that. For something to be seen as valuable, it has to be valid on its face. You know, you look at it and people have to go, oh, yeah, I can see how that would make a difference. Sometimes things are so simple, they lack face validity. You go, "Eh, eh, no big deal. I'm smarter than that. Let me give you an example. If you would spend 10 minutes a day in guided relaxation, I don't mean chilling out. I mean guided relaxation where you are actually taught how to relax your body, how to void your body of stress and tension. The effects of that 10 minutes can last up to 8 hours. But when I tell people, look, it will really help you mentally, physically, emotionally, if you would relax 10 minutes a day, two times, they go, "Eh, yeah, let me tell you, I need a lot more than relaxation. You know, actually, you don't. It just doesn't have face validity, so you blow it off. If I came in and said, okay. I need to hook you up to this big machine, and all these lights are going to go off. These electrodes are going to be put all over the top of your head, and they're going to be sending in these impulses into your brain, and that's going to change all of your neurotransmitters and your biophysiology. Then they go, oh, wow, okay, I'll get over there and do that. Well, that has face validity, but it wouldn't do a damn thing for you. It's just a lot of fancy lights and buttons. But if you would actually relax for 10 minutes twice a day, you'd be astounded at the difference it would make in your stress and tension levels. Now, I'm just using that as an example of face validity because writing things down lacks face validity when it is so very important. But since I used it as an example, I'm going to put two links on the website for guided relaxation. They're about 10 minutes. All you got to do is click on the link, put your earbuds in or your headphones or whatever. When you go on break, just get somewhere, sit down, put your earphones on, listen to what it says. Make a big difference. has nothing to do with New Year's resolutions, just since I used it as an example. I'll put it on the website for you so you can use it makes a huge huge difference although it lacks face solidity. here's what i want you to do when you decide from the chart where i listed the five life dimensions personal relational professional familial and spiritual when you choose something under one or all of those categories you choose a behavior like i want him. Improve my relationship with my extended family members, my in-laws, or whatever. Then there's four more questions I'm going to ask you to ask. I know I'm giving you a lot of lists here, but I'm trying to put the dots really close together so this can be easy. So you say, okay, I want to improve my relationship with my extended family. Question number one, my actual relevant behavior is, okay, what behavior are you doing now? That's relevant to that goal. You've heard me talk about doing an autopsy on your relationships. This is a good time to apply that. That was in our relationship reality check how much fun are you to live with? Do an autopsy on your relationships. So, if you're going to change a relationship with your in laws, first thing do, what is your actual relevant behavior? What are you doing that's relevant to that relationship that's good or bad? B, my actual inner feelings are, how do you really feel about it? Like if you got a mother-in-law that's coming over every day telling her daughter that she could have done a lot better than you, or you're the daughter and she's coming over telling you you could have done a lot better than him and you actually love him, then that's a problem. And if you feel resentment about that, you need to identify that feeling. Then C, the negatives that are present are, maybe it's your mother coming over telling you that your spouse is not good enough for you and you ought to dump them. D, the positives that are absent but are needed are, what's missing? Now you have a to-do list. Now you have an idea of what it is you're trying to do. And that will help a lot. Okay, so now you're ready to begin creating step-by-step, purposeful change in your life. And that means it's time to take charge. I've been through with you the seven step strategy for setting an attainable goal. It's on the website. You'll remember it if you've been listening. And if you haven't, I'll give you a real quick review. Number one, you need to express your goal in terms of specific events or behaviors. You have to be specific. You don't want to say, I want to be happy. What does that mean? Be specific about what you want your goal is. It's got to have specificity to it because number two, it has to be expressed in terms that can be measured. How do you know if you've achieved your goal if you can't measure it? You have to choose something that you can measure. Like if it's losing weight, which is the most popular resolution of all. That one's easy because you can get on the scales and measure it. Number three is you have to assign a timeline. The difference between a goal and a dream is a timeline. I mean, you got to have a timeline or you'll never get started. Number four, you got to choose a goal you can control. Don't choose a goal that I want my wife to be happier. I want my husband to be happier. No, no, no. You don't control their happiness. You control yours. So. Choose a goal that you control, whether it's your weight, your health, your career, your relationships, but it's got to be something you control. Number five, plan and program a strategy that will get you to your goal. You heard me say it's not about willpower. It's about a strategy. It's programming your world to support what you want. Set your world up so it pulls for you. It pulls for you. It doesn't resist you. It helps you. Number six, define your goal in terms of steps. We don't leap tall buildings in a single bound. What are the steps? I need to do this first, and this second, this third. And listen, small steps add up to big changes. Number seven, create accountability for your progress towards your goal. Choose a friend. Do something, some way where you've got to look somebody in the eye and they're going to hold you accountable. Now, people go after these things in different ways. Everybody has a style. Everybody has a formula for success. But I can tell you what I have seen people embrace across time that tend to succeed. They might do it in different ways, but these elements are there. Number one, they do have a vision. You don't go after something that you can't envision. you got to be able to see it. Like if your goal is to lose weight, you need to be able to see yourself at that target weight. How do you look? How do you feel? What do you wear? How do you act? You've got to be able to have a vision of your goal and keep that uppermost in your mind. Then you have to have a strategy, a clear, thoughtful strategy. Don't just say, well, I'm just going to start moving towards my goal. No, you're not. Like I said, you got to program your world for it. Have a strategy. Change things. you got to have passion. People that get their goals get excited about them. You don't drudge to success. You skip to success. You're excited about it. You remember I said stage four of readiness for change is you're sick to death of it. You are excited to escape. And truth. People tell themselves the truth, that it succeed. They tell themselves the truth. These are not people that were born on third base and tell themselves they hit a triple. I mean, they're honest. Tell yourself the truth. And if you're backsliding, don't make excuses. Tell yourself the truth. These people are flexible. This is not a success-only journey. You are not going to have progress every day towards your goal. There are going to be days that you slip up. There are going to be days that you don't do well. Well, you know what? The next day, you get right back on that horse and start riding again. That is not your reason to quit. This is not a success-only journey. These people take risk. They're willing to take risk. And the biggest risk you're going to take is admitting that you want something you don't have because then you've acknowledged that you're not where you want to be. And once you've said it out loud, once you have written it down, you've now admitted it. You've now acknowledged it. These people tend to do things with a nucleus around them, a nucleus of people that want them to succeed. So share your goal with people. Let them know what you're after so they can help you. And these people are action-oriented. They take action. They don't think it to death. They don't analyze it to death. They get a plan. They get a program. They get a strategy. They get excited, and they take action. And they make it a priority. Look, you are going to make sacrifices to get what you want, or what you want becomes a sacrifice. Make it a priority in your life. You've got to be a self manager. You've got one client and it's you. So I'm telling you if you want your New Year's resolution to really be a changing force in your life, then make the decision, the life decision, that you really do want to change it. Decide you're so sick of your crap you're not going to take it anymore make a plan, have a strategy, get excited about it, and then identify the seven-step strategy that you need to get from where you are to where you need to be. And like I said, you got to shake it up to break it up. If you want different, you've got to do different. The most overquoted statement I've ever heard from the world of psychology is that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It's probably overquoted so much because it applies to so many of us. We just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and then we're stunned and we don't get different results. So if you want different, do different. Hey, we're headed into a new decade. It's the Roaring Twenties. Think about 1920s. It was prohibition. There were flappers. I mean, it was an exciting time. Great music, speakeasies. It was right before the Great Depression. And everybody thought life was great. That's why they called it the Roaring Twenties. Well, here we are a hundred years later. What are you going to do with your roaring 20s? Because they're going to go by whether you're doing something or whether you're not. So choose your resolution. Go after it the way I've described. And as a second resolution, resolve to listen to fill in the blanks. Because I'm going to be here every week.